Hey, one more thing before you go. Have you ever felt stuck in life and wondered if you could redefine yourself? Have you ever wanted to find a way to grasp happiness but not sure where to start looking for it or how to? Stay tuned. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with a man who has redefined success on his own terms. He's a seasoned HR executive who has transformed his career and life trajectory to find true happiness and fulfillment, which is what we all want. And we're going to show you the power of self-discovery and embracing change. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. My guest in this episode is Nick Goblish, who has redefined success on his own terms. Drawing on frontline strategies from his corporate career, Nick navigated the challenges of an unconventional pivot and used the principles that once guided organizations through transitions and built the framework for his personal and professional reinvention. A symbol of his journey towards happiness and presence under the brand Buckets of Change, Nick emerged as a sought-after resource for successful transitions from major corporations in need of redirection to individuals seeking purpose. And today, Nick shares a powerful message that seeks to motivate you to embrace change, unlock the higher levels of success, find fulfillment, and realize your undeniable value. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for the introduction. I'm very, very happy finally to be here with you today. Yes, oh my, we had we had a little journey getting here, didn't we? <laughs> awesome. It's Very been cool. it's been a journey, but it's going to be a great conversation. Um, you have speaking of journeys, you have an amazing journey of your own. Uh, we all we all I think I, when I had you and I had spoken before, and you know part of my story, mm-hmm. I had to reinvent my purpose and reinvent my direction in life, and yeah. I had to do it at an age where I didn't expect to reinvent my life or redirect my purpose and. Um, at least you, I think what you have done in, in, in redefining your direction, you found new purpose in life. And um, at any age, I think we can be able to do that within ourselves, don't you think? Yeah, I hope, and, and do it more than once. Hopefully, we all have the ability to, before we leave this earth, that we can reinvent ourselves more than once and reap the rewards of trying something new every time. Well, you know, it, it, I know everybody, we all grow up with that, with that adage where you're supposed to grow up. You go to college, you get, a, go get married, you have a little house with a white picket fence or a yeah. chain link fence or whatever you prefer. And, you know, you have 2.5 kids and, and then you work for 30 years, you retire and there you go. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Uh, no, uh, I think... I guess it just made generations before mine, their lives easier to know that everything was mapped out, that I didn't have to, if I, long as I followed this path and did what I was supposed to do, uh, I'll be happy, right? And I think where the danger lies is not everyone has a path that goes that exact way. Not everybody gets married at the same time. I learned when my wife and I were having kids, or at least when most of our friends, Mike, were having kids, that a lot of, I never thought as I got older, there were couples out there that have, have to go years of, of science to have children. And that is huge. I had no idea the toll that takes on people. And especially who knows if those individuals, that couple or that, those partners are having uh, 
all the pressures of their families trying to say, you know, you're getting a little older. It's time to, you know, I kind of want grandkids, that kind of thing. So I, 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 I don't think when I grew up, I had anyone in my life actually saying this is what it's supposed to be. I just had a lot of people around. Had done that. I a, yeah, I grew up in a middle class home, uh, single parent, uh, father spent a lot of time out, didn't really uh, spent a lot of time with my sister and I at home. I have a twin sister and we kind of were latchkey kids, generation latchkey, uh, generation X latchkey kids kind of figuring out as we went along at the time that my kids are in high school. Now I was working four or five days a week, uh, earning my own money, uh, cooking my own meals. And I just knew get good grades in school, do the best you can. And that's it. I don't think I was doing it in a way that I felt that if I continued to do it, I would reap some reward or anything. Uh, I was kind of a bookworm in school. Eh, actually, I wouldn't say bookworm, but science, maths, English were fairly easy to me. And I excelled, but it wasn't any fun. Really, I was a big proponent of doing things that I enjoyed doing because I, one, I always felt that if I did something I loved to do or was learning to love to do, it was much more fun to do it and you get more into a flow and you get better at it and more proficient at it. And it just created some variety in my life rather than sameness over and over again. And with change, change is constant. And we have to really, really choose sometimes to not change with the world around us. And that's where you, you might may have, may have a individual in your family or a friend or someone who's just kind of stubborn when it comes to change. So going to college, I decided to study a subject. I wasn't quite thinking like long-term that was no one in my life was really helping me understand like what earning a living meant. I knew I could work, but I went to school. I wanted the college experience. I had the grades to do it. And rather than studying something like engineering or architecture or anything, utilizing all those knowledge, skills, and abilities I learned in school, I just decided to be an artist. I always had fun drawing and paint or drawing and painting to an extent. And I spent four years and got a fine arts degree, liberal arts degree. And that was, a, that was awesome. But the moment I graduated, kind of the reality set in and people kind of looked at me and said, so what are you going to do with an art degree? Uh, I ended up after leaving college, doing a door to door sales job, uh, thought it was kind of a management kind of training kind of thing. It kind of was, but wasn't really quite the most uh, legitimate business, let's say. And I learned how to deal with people. That was really, really important. Uh, that's one of the skills I definitely took from my early 20s. And I still apply that with everything I do today, whether it be clients I work with, companies I work with, customers I work with. And I kind of really need someone to kind of jump into my life and really kind of snap me back and say, Nick, what are you really doing? So that's where my, my wife, Megan, we were dating at the time. She had just graduated college. And in 2000, I decided not to do that anymore and moved in with her parents back in 2000 in South Jersey. And they were great. I love my in-laws. They're amazing people. Uh, my late father, uh, unfortunately passed in 2020, but we had the treat of going out with my mother-in-law, Kathy, and for uh, Thanksgiving in Atlantic City, which was a lot of fun. She's amazing. My mother-in-law is awesome. But they took me in and then with a little bit of nurturing between my mother-in-law and my father-in-law kind of pushed me out to say, what do you know how to do? And 
maybe uh, this job or this arena can be an environment where you can kind of utilize the tools that you did when you worked for the sales company. And I jumped into human resources, which I did a lot of interviewing and I jumped into the casinos back in 2000, 2001, January, 2001, and kind of built a successful HR career over the next two decades. Uh, I lived through a recession in my career. I saw many companies expand, many companies shrink, especially during the recession. But the one thing I, ironically, Michael, I, I committed myself to, to say, like, if I'm going to do in the long term, I need to find something I can do that I can do anywhere. And when I got to understand human resources, I was like, well, people are everywhere. And if I get really good at working with people, I could do this anywhere. So I wouldn't have to be limited to the company, like stuck at one company, because sometimes people kind of get stuck. You know, they, they learn one trade, they learn something that they can only do here. And the versatility is something that I was really pushing for. So as I built my career and did all that, as I went and worked for these organizations, I worked in uh, retail, uh, direct marketing, and I worked in real estate, manufacturing. Um, it was uh, an amazing experience because then I saw how these businesses interacted with each other, uh, real estate, especially when I was in retail, then working in real estate. And the constant I always saw, Michael, is that organizations needed to make changes in order to survive. And those changes weren't easy to do because even though eventually when I was in boardrooms sitting with an executive team, helping them make those decisions, any decision that's made in an organization, it affects people. And I then was that resource to help the organization digest that change and then mitigate the pain the organization would feel in making those changes to individuals that weren't part of the discussion, but eventually have to then change their action, change their behavior in order to make whatever uh, paths open to accomplish whatever goal the executive team was trying to accomplish. And I, as much as it was fun understanding how the machine worked, I was fascinated Michael fascinated on how change not only affected the people around me, but also how it affected me, how I had to cope with change. I've never been someone who is fearing change, but my body and my brain will definitely respond to change like any normal people would. I think we're, all, we're all afraid of change. I mean, yeah, when you, when you get into, especially when you, I'm sorry, especially when you get into a pattern, you get in a pattern of life. Right. And when you get into that pattern, it's comfortable. To a certain extent, it's comfortable. And stepping outside of the lines are sometimes not an option for some of us because we don't want to step out of the lines. Then we would be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. and, and the uh, the idea that even if that's the case and you choose, you choose not to change, which I like working with people that not only organizations have to change just in order to, to, serve, to do what they need to do, uh, but when I left my HR career in 2018 and just, just decided not to do that anymore, uh, I kind of gave myself permission to say, listen, you're going to be uncomfortable. This is going to be extremely hard for you. People are going to look at you like you're crazy. Uh, but if you keep your eye on the prize and know that they're, they're, you may be happier doing something different and maybe finding, and we talked about this earlier, you know, finding a better purpose, 
suddenly your mind latches onto that and you're willing to, to be uncomfortable. You're willing to do that. And you almost, you almost don't realize how uncomfortable you actually were until the time passes and you look back and realize how uncomfortable you actually were, how hard that actually was. It does take time to really understand how successful you can be with change. And when I say successful, I don't mean, uh, and that was a thing, a word we used a lot where, like, remember you were saying about picket fences and two and a half kids and everything. Yeah. Success doesn't mean I'm the richest guy on the block. It doesn't mean I have the biggest house. It doesn't mean everyone likes me. It doesn't, it, that's not, success uh, is it, simply a, a step in the right direction where, uh, I accomplish something that either makes me better or either helps me or helps someone else. I mean, it's really a, and a, a lot more of the selfless acts. Uh, I want to leave a positive legacy on the world. And I hope that everything I do does that. And I strive for that. And, and I've worked very hard to make sure that my actions leave a lot more positives on the world than, than negatives, but you, that's a choice. That's a choice you make. And sometimes that might require someone to actually change, but I would never consider, you know, that was hard because I thought I was unsuccessful because I decided to leave a, you know, a multiple six figure job to paint houses, you know, eventually. And, and, and which was a, as a passion of mine since I was in high school, I had no idea if that was going to work out, but I knew I'd be much happier going and painting a house than all the responsibility and the stress and the headache of being a, a successful HR leader because it comes with the territory. It truly comes with the territory. Well, in reality, we all want to be able to do something that we have a passion for. And if we can make money doing something that we have a passion for, it makes life a little easier oh. every day. It makes us want to get out of bed. And, and you know, not try. My wife drives, three day, she works at a hybrid schedule, but three days a week she drives down 35 miles. She has to drive in Phoenix traffic. and. You know, sometimes it takes 45 minutes, sometimes it takes an hour and a half, depending upon the traffic. And she just doesn't want to get out of bed and go do that. You mm -hmm. know, and I don't blame her because it, you, she trudges down there for anywhere from an hour, an hour and a half. And then she puts in a full day and then she's going, I, I got to drive in that crap on the way back home. Mm -hmm. And so by the time she gets home, we got like a two and a half hour window. And she says, I got to find something. You know, she's always, I've got to find something else here. She's got a few more years before she retires, but she wants to reach that pinnacle of retirement, so she does have a goal in place. But yeah, I think we all sometimes get stuck in that rut. We all get stuck in that modality where we feel that we have to be able to go do something. We have to sit at the, the six-figure job because that's what success means to us. In yeah. reality, coming from my own perspective, I mean, look, I was a sergeant before I got injured, and when I got injured, it stopped me abruptly. It wasn't a choice of mine. It wasn't, I didn't make the choice. I didn't say, I want to not be a sergeant anymore. I don't want to be a cop anymore. I was taking the lieutenant's test. I was going to move up the line, like my colleagues have done. People who worked underneath me went on to be assistant chiefs and chiefs, captains, commanders. That was my intention. And during that time period, I got stopped abruptly. So it also gave me a wake-up call because although I loved my job, Okay. Once I stopped because I wasn't, I, you know, I, you know, that I was in a wheelchair for a number of years because of the injuries mm -hmm. and yeah. things like that. So after I stopped feeling sorry for myself and I stopped being angry, I stopped being being in denial, I stopped being resentful, going, "Well, why did they get to go up the line and I didn't?" It took me a second to reflect on the the opportunity to do 
something else I really love doing and then really go for that. So it allowed me to reinvent my own self and reinvent my purpose in life. And if we don't have to have an abrupt stoppage like that in order for us to effectively change, we just have to have the, we just have to take the first step and choose to make a change in many cases, right? Yeah, the the choice of probably a year before I just uh, I had lost my I was laid off from my last HR job. I had already been saying in my head and thinking, is there something else I can do? Like, can I be? Can I excel in something else? Can I learn a new profession? Uh, when I mentioned before of being part of organizations through that went through change, my skill set was downsizing, reorganization. Um, being able to reduce workforce and mitigate any legal issues. It was something I was very, very good at. So most of the organizations, Michael, that I worked at hired me for that specific reason. So it became part of my identity. It became something that I was good at. It became the one thing I was recognized for. And it started grading on me and grading on me, grading on me. I've always had this mindset that if you do the job that other people don't want to do, they'll pay you for it. I mean, now I, I paint houses and I do jobs that people don't like to do. Uh, and I get it and I enjoy that. The idea that I'm only going to be recognized for laying off 100 people in a week and doing it seamlessly and be able to go to my executive team and tell them that my team executed it flawlessly and everybody was safe and everybody got their severance agreements and all the paperwork was signed. It just seemed like an empty way of looking at what Again, what success looked like in my position. I wanted to do more. I wanted to help organizations like become better through the change versus just being able to look at a balance sheet and say, well, we reduced our headcount. So in essence, we have more money now than we did last month or last year. Okay. You know, it's just, a, I'm sorry. It's interesting from a perspective. I know that you have an art degree, uh, of course. When you, when you went to school to get the art degree, what was your passion then? Now, how did you... How did you interpret that into painting houses? I really, I mean, I had painted houses prior. When I mentioned I was a latchkey kid, yeah. I I didn't have a paternal figure. My father spent a lot of time at the bar and, and I didn't see him much. Uh, so I sought out a lot of guidance from others. And sometimes I really sought it out, like a lot of attention seeking behaviors. And as a freshman in high school, I had a Spanish teacher. His name was Mr. Farmer. And he noticed that I was trying very, very hard to make myself known, almost mimicking what the popular kids, how the popular kids behaved. And he saw right through it and he had me wait after class. And this was probably in 1990. And he said, he, he had a heart to heart with me. I don't remember exactly what he said, but I remember the idea, the feeling that I had was this guy seeing me. And then he said to me, I know you live in the town next to me. And he had a garage that needed to be painted. So he actually asked if I would help paint his, his uh, garage. And my father had always said that he painted houses when, or barns when he was a kid. So the idea of painting and some connection to that. So I went and painted with Mr. Farmer. I rode my bike over the bridge from Long Branch to Monmouth Beach in Monmouth County, New Jersey. And I went and he had the paintbrushes out. He taught me a few things. And then the whole day we talked. Like we absolutely talked and I don't know what it was, but the idea of doing that and painting and changing something like changing, just having, being able to see what I'm doing 
the impact I was making and also feeling good about it and feeling warm about it just left an impression. And I just liked what I did. And I used to try to find smaller jobs to do and, and I would paint, you know, small projects and things like that. And it just became something I kind of did on the side, Michael, like something I, I would, you know, eventually when I went through college, I would do for my wife would farm me out to like friends who had nurseries that needed to be painted and never got paid for it at all. Just roller and brush and just enjoyed doing it. I used to tell people just pick, feed me lunch and I'll do it. Not in a million years, not in a million years that I ever think that I'd be making the money I'm making and, you know, have a van out in the driveway, you know, with my branded company on it and, and build that from scratch and have a, you know, a community that follows me on social media and all these videos that I do. And, uh, but when an opportunity arose after I left when I was laid off in 18 and then in the 19, I just, someone said they need a house to be painted and raised my hand. I had been consulting. I had been doing podcast production and just helping people do the same thing that I did with my podcast and, and things I was interested in. And cause I've been podcasting for a while and, uh, uh, I went and painted this guy's house and it took me forever to do Michael. I didn't make any money. He talked me down <laughs> of the price I gave him when he gave me my deposit. That never happened since, but I was just so naive. I was like, it's just money. I have to provide for my family. And suddenly it was just this thing where I did it. And I thought, and I had a pretty big social media community. And I knew if I told them that I painted, I'm sure work would come in. And eventually it, it kind of blew up. It blew up to this, this thing where I became a, like a key community, a painter in my community. Now, Michael, if I could share this with you, I've been thinking long and hard, probably since the last time we talked of, of pivoting, you know, you, when you think of success, right, you think I'm a, you know, individual painter, I'm taking on these really, really big projects and I'm doing well and people are seeing that. But what's happening is my jobs have gotten so big and required so much time that it's no more lucrative. It's not lucrative for me to take on these big projects, even though the, the it's, you know, you charge a lot of money to paint an outside a really big home. Um, I'm kind of deciding to make this like pivot to really get back to smaller projects. Uh, I know when we talk about change, big, significant life changes, like the one you went through and the one I went through, uh, sometimes change, the right changes can be small, like really, really small. Like just because I changed a career doesn't, and I decided to do that. And I'm lucky to fall into a passion of mine, like really lucky to do that. That, that wasn't, that wasn't in the cards when I decided I didn't want to be, be an HR professional anymore. But uh, some folks might be in a position in a, in a company where they're getting and, and when that boredom or that that like mental fatigue starts leading to complacency and uh, performance issues, it could cost you your job. When that's really important, we have to take a step step back and realize that could I do something else at the company I'm in? Could I do something else in the industry that I'm in? Just saying it out loud. Just can I do this? Like even saying to myself, can I just do smaller projects rather than doing big projects? I mean, I'm not going to lie, Michael, putting a prod, putting pictures of a, of a house, um, you know, a three story home that I restored from scratch and it took weeks to do is pretty sexy on social media. But no one knows. I mean, they're like, wow, you, you're, the, you're one person and you did that. And I, but I realized ah, that's not sustainable at all. That is not sustainable at all. 
So making a conscious effort to do a small pivot sometimes mm -hmm. can have just a, just a big enough um, impact in your life versus you or I making a decision to do something like really like digging deep and, and being like, I'm going to be someone different and do something different. And I, what's great is I, I surround myself with, with people that don't judge me when I'm, I do things that having being surrounded by people that don't judge you is so mm -hmm. imperative and part of the change process. Uh, because sometimes even the closest people to you will judge you because they're afraid. But having a close friend of mine being able to say that to me, almost say that, you know, say what that voice deep, deep, deep down in the back of my brain is trying to tell me suddenly opens up an enormous door and things, even though they're still hard and challenging, are so much more hopeful and exciting. And and it allows you to just go, oh, God, there is I, I can still maintain this happiness flow that I'm on because being happy and working to be happy is just as hard, just as hard as being miserable. It's just as hard. That's, that's fact. That's fact. It's one of those one of those situations I think that we sometimes forget that that we shouldn't have to we really shouldn't have to work work at being happy. We should be able to let happiness kind of come into our lives from a perspective that we open the door to that. You know, you know, if that makes sense. At least from my Yeah, opinion. I don't and I don't want to uh I agree with what you said. Let, let's hope your listeners, I don't want to sound like I'm contradicting that. I mean that it is easy when, uh, like choosing a path of, of, yeah. of, you know, when I chose to paint houses, uh, knowing that it's going to be, let's say cold outside, or, uh, it's going to be a, you know, hot outside or, or, or anything, or one's going to require me to dig deep in my, and use my core, Michael, and, and stretch and do this. Um, most people might look at that and, and to me, I get a lot of joy out of that. Uh, that's what I mean by the work. Sometimes you gotta, uh, you know, I, I never want anyone to think that even being an entrepreneur, you know, sometimes people think, oh, you left the corporate grind to be an entrepreneur and you're, and you don't have to deal with any of the BS that we have to deal with. I go, well, I have to deal with BS. It's just a little different. It's just slightly different. There is no, I guess, hands down, if I could say it in one way, I guess there's no escape. It's not like this magic pill. But when you find some, when you make the, the choices, the conscious decisions, like you said, to seek out those open doors, uh, that's the work. Like that's the, yeah. you know, even if the decision you're making, everybody's looking at it thinking you're great. Why would you do that? Like, why would you leave a career like that? Why would you do that? You're doing it in a way that, that, that is, is, is focused and direct. And when you find it, um, you, the fulfillment you feel is amazing. And then you can accomplish things you never thought you could accomplish. And, and suddenly the world around you starts seeing that and going, I can't believe he did that. Like, I can't believe he did that. I mean, now looking back almost five years now, I don't think, uh, the, the people that said weird stuff to me or said it was crazy. They're not looking at me the same way. I mean, it's a shot. And again, I don't, I didn't, I wasn't looking for that. I can understand right. why people on the outside do that. And those pressures, like back to the whole thing with, you know, two and a half kids, a, you know, a picket fence and a house. And uh, sometimes the world dictates or the world conditions us to think that we can't reinvent ourselves and can't change because it's against the norm. And, and you don't want to be against the norm because the norm is safe and being safe is where people want to be. Yeah. But I've learned, even in my corporate career, Michael, on this thought on this, 
is no matter what company you're in, no matter what position you're in, there is no safe place. There is never a safe place. There's too much going on in the world that you have absolute no control over that could impact wherever you are. There's no safe position. There's no safe career path. There's no safe anything. It's just when we get comfortable with being unsafe, uh, we can navigate it. We can navigate whatever path we're on a little bit better. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think that we, society sometimes, well, not sometimes, society and culture puts a value on what, where we need to be at in our, in our lives. If you are 21 years old, you're supposed to do this. When you're 30, by 30, you're supposed to do this. By 50, you're supposed to do this. By 65, you're supposed to do this. Once we look past what society calls a norm and understand that normal can be different. You know, and I'm, I've said this before, but I'll say it again anyway. I've caught a little flack from this. COVID was a double-edged sword in my opinion. Because COVID, all the corporate beings were going, we have to get back to normal, we have to get back to normal, we have to get back to normal. But what we found, the individuals that were affected by that at such a mass level, my wife worked from home for two and a half years. In the time that she worked from home for two and a half years, before they give her a hybrid schedule, we saw that instead of that hour, hour and a half drive in the morning that we were talking about a little bit ago, it was a 30-second commute from the back patio where we went out in the morning and had a cup of tea together and watched the birds yeah. and the mm -hmm. rabbits and listen, you know, listen to the birds and the, all the hummingbirds and everything. You go to the deaf flowers in the bushes and relaxed and felt the sunrise. And, and then she got up and went to work. And then when she was done, there was no hour, hour and a half coming home. It mm -hmm. was 30 seconds into the kitchen or into the living room sit down, we got to have a nice dinner, watch a little TV, relax. It was great. The men mental aspect of it was brilliant because it was a nice work-life balance. So we started to understand in many conversations that I had during people with people during COVID were people who reevaluated their position in life to say, that's not the norm. Giving somebody and I know that you work for the corporate world, so you obviously I know you from but giving the corporate world, 75% of my life and giving 25% to my wife and my kids or my, my family, you know, in, in that perspective, um, isn't normal. And there needed to be a better work-life balance. And I think that society was forced to create the atmosphere for a better work-life balance to allow that. And it changed the societal perceptions as to what is normal. Do you know, though, Michael, there were companies doing that already prior to the pandemic? I know that. Like successfully doing that. I wrote telecommuting policies yeah. for companies that put yeah. them in the place. And, and and it does show you, though, you know, a two-year pandemic is not going to change, you know, permanently. Yeah. Institutional, yeah. you know, back. it's not, it's not going to, that little blip at the end of the day, yeah. 10 years from now, that's not, it's such a blip. It's just not, I mean, we all got comfortable and did what we needed to do, but yeah, I, it's, I'm always curious, you know, I'm not in the corporate space anymore and trying to, on LinkedIn, I try to get enough intuition on what's happening in the, like how people are responding when they, obviously I hear a lot of people share stuff on social media that they have to go back to the office. Me, I'd rather just, face-to-face -face is the only way, the only way for me to do anything. 
Right. And I couldn't imagine being remote. It's, it's, I, I, I'm actually working in a home right now where people work from home and I can, there is a, a different type of vibe when people interact. The, the impact of interaction lasts longer when you see someone versus over the phone. Like it just talk about going through the motions where all I don't see anything else other than my laptop at my desk in my home. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. And maybe my phone rings. Maybe I do a little email. But one thing, the positives I do miss from my nine to five corporate life was, you know, impromptu meetings where something came, you know, came up or talking about how we can promote this person or this individual needs some leadership coaching, whatever it was, it was always, it was so much fun. And I didn't spend a lot of time in my office. I always walked around and I I don't sit still very much. And it was great to be able to do that. And that helped in my career because people saw me. I wasn't Mm -hmm. that kind of, there is a stereotypical HR, a lot of TV shows make fun of them where the HR just stands in their desk and they're just, uh, I think <laughs> someone said to me, the, I was actually, I was talking to my Sherwin Williams rep today and he was talking to me about all the responsibilities Michael he has. And he, I, I said, so what's HR do? Like, what does HR do? And he said, well, they deal with complaints and arguments and things like that. And I said, well, they're firefighters then. That's all they do is put out fires. And that's so, that's so, ugh. I mean, I was a really good firefighter at one point. Mm-hmm. That, that gets old after a while. That really, really gets old. I mean, when you want to be, I mean, Michael, wouldn't you want to be impacting something like making a mark or something and, and, and getting paid to do it? Like you're getting paid to do this. Like, ah, just take a step. Can I, Michael, can I ask you a question? I, it's in regards to passion. And someone, a family member said this to me, who's been a big advocate of mine. Do you feel there are people out there, you and I are both passionate people in the sense that of the energy we put into things that we draw the most out of, right? And it's great. Uh, I mean, you get back just as much as you pay into it and you help others, which is even better. But have you ever thought how you and I or other people that may chase a passion, how those that don't either have a passion or don't understand how that works could be intimidating? Do you feel that could be intimidating? From my perspective or from their perspective and trying to do the same thing? I mean, you and I can hang out with passionate people and be like, "What do you?" I mean, we could talk for hours. Well, we, like you and I, we we come we from a creative, a yeah. We come from a creative mind. I mean, you have a yeah, creative we, mind. I have a creative mind. And in in coming from a creative mind, I think it's easier for us to be able to come out of that shell and be able to have a conversation like this, for example. I think that you know, in I have seen and experienced other individuals that can't take that first step in order to. To, to make that kind of change that they want to make in their life. Because number one, they don't know how. Number two, they're afraid to ask. And number three, it is intimidating because what I'm giving up, I'm giving up all of this over here and I'm taking a chance over here. And what's talking in the back of my head is my dad always said, don't chase your dream. Or, you know, you can't do that. Or you won't fit that. Or it doesn't work for you. You shouldn't be an actor because actors, those aren't real jobs. Or you shouldn't be a writer because those aren't real jobs. You shouldn't be a, a painter or an artist because that's not, that's not a real job kind of a thing. I think that those type of intimidations do affect people. I think that it does stop them from taking that step. Um, my wife wants to be a photographer. She loves photography. She loves going out and taking pictures. Wildlife, 
and and she takes brilliant pictures, amazing pictures. But then she'll look at another artist that has taken pictures, and she'll go, "I can never do that." So I think a lot of people, a lot of people have that blockage. I think if, if we can call it a blockage, an obstacle, a roadblock, a wall in front of themselves that prevents them from actually seeing the potential that they have to be able to achieve <clears throat> the same thing that they just they just compared that to and or even better. Can I, Michael, can I, and then I'm going to rephrase my question. Sure. I had asked you, the passionate, are the passionless intimidated by that? But let me rephrase that. Do you believe that Everyone deep down has a passion, has something innate, but yet the environment, <laughs> parents, society, uh, social norms, everything, just that's the wall it creates. I and, yet, and, and yet people may never discover how amazing life can be when you find a passion and passions can change. They don't always have to be one thing. I mean, I started painting early in my life, but doesn't mean I won't enjoy doing something with all the conversations we had about tech. Obviously that's probably not something you were into, or maybe you were back when you were in high school, but become something that provides purpose and, 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 and uh, fulfillment. But people might live their whole life realizing, and then, you know, on their deathbed looking at it saying, you know, if only I was, <laughs> I was an actor, you know, if I wish, and you I never know too. I lucked out. I said I lucked out jumping into painting and, and now what I'm doing now with speaking and coaching. It's it's uh, I, I it may just happen like someone you might just stumble across something and it doesn't mean I'm not going to stumble across something again and go, you know what? I really think I might want to do that. Like I, I want to yodel like I think yodeling is really awesome, you know, and. But with anything, you got to put the time in, right? If I wanted to be a yodeler, what do I need to do? I need to figure out how to yodel. So, exactly. Well, that's yeah, fine. And to answer your question, yes, I agree with you. I think that 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 it, it, people who who have that kind of a passion, people who who want to be able to take that first step, and mm -hmm. they're intimidated by for whatever reason, whether it be their the societal rules, their parental rules, their you know, work rules, they they're afraid to step out of that. In, in order to explore their passion, if that answers your question a little bit better, at least that's why I understand. Yeah, no, no, you, you, I, I just had a family member say to me that, and and it, it's that, just you know, when you say when you talk about passion, you know, there might be people that are intimidated by that, and I've never heard anyone say that to me because most people that I know that are passionate about something that pursue those passions are inspiring. You know, those are the people I'm like, ooh, what are they? What are they accomplishing? What are, what have they done? I'd never heard anybody say that. And I just, you're the first person I actually said, you know, said that to. And I think it's not so what I wish I would have answered it like you just said. Well, maybe it's that there's too much noise in your head keeping you from finding a passion. It's, it's, it's got, there's got to be something. And it doesn't have to be something even that you need to earn a living on. Because I think a lot of people may be fit for a a job that they're in where they 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 do what they sort of like to do maybe what they study but they're doing a side hustle or something that provides that extra little oomph uh my change was drastic i mean i don't know a lot none of my peers did anything that i did like none of them i don't know anyone that's done that again like 
thank, thank God I work hard and I do my best with whatever limitations or resources I have. But there's not a lot of folks that would decide to do that. Like, I mean, I could definitely say if, if 2017, if a peer of mine said, you know what, I'm leaving this all behind. I like the private jets. I like the fancy meetings. I like the nice dinners. But you know what? I think I'm going to paint houses because it's more fun. Hey. <laughs> I would have looked at that. I would have looked at that person and said, "You are crazy. Why are you doing this?" And talk, try to talk them out of it. You know, it, it's interesting. I think that goes back to societal rules in the back of our head. Yeah. We're thinking that you have to act this way, you have to act that way. If you went to college to be this, you should be it. But if you went to college to be an artist, then you know that's not a real job. Kind of a situation. No. You know that kind of my my and my wife knows this. My my wife's father, he's passed, so I'm not speaking ill of you, David, just, <laughs> just in case he's listening or smites me or something. <laughs> but, you know, his situation was when Diane wanted to model or act, it was, you know, that's not a real job. When the kids, my, our oldest daughter is, is an actor, and, you know, she would, he'd go, have you find a real job yet? He'd always ask her, did you find a real job yet? And she mm -hmm. said, but I love acting. I have a real job, Grandpa. That kind yeah. of a thing. So I think that that innately we as individuals always have a spark within us a spark that just has to be lit at the right time and in the right place yeah. and once that spark is lit it will grow and hopefully grow enough that it will create the passion within you out there that are listening or watching it will create the passion for you to be able to let that passion go from the little spark into something more viable for you to be able to take that to the next level and the next level and the next level and then apply that to your life in such a way that you can uh, you can you can be passionate about what you're doing each and every day mm. and then turn that passion into something that helps other people move forward yeah. mm -hmm. you know from that perspective and and be happy find a different kind I, I say a different kind of happiness because like you said earlier you can be okay with the job you're at you can be okay going back and forth to work you could be okay sitting in an office you know pressing buttons working on the computer yeah. but you may have a passion deep down inside that just needs to be lit mm -hmm. and once it's lit then mm -hmm. allow it to grow exponentially yeah. and then step out and open that door take the first step open the door walk through it and then take the opportunity yeah, and figure it out and screw up. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times every day I work. It's an on-the-job training day. Ugh. So, yeah. Yep. Mistakes Just are, something. Mistakes are stepping stones to success. And it's it, I've worked very hard over the last few years to really embrace them. Like, I mean, my ego doesn't even find his way or her way out when that happens to be hard on me. Immediately I go, well, okay, great. Time to figure this out. Like, it's just... But again, that's that's the whole idea when I talk about work. It's it's a lot of self practice to really make sure you you still understand why you're doing what you do. You know, I don't I don't look at what I do with anything HR, house painting, coaching, speaking. I just simply want to help people become better at what they do, live a happier life, and have control of the change that they have in their lives. Like be able to consciously pivot when they yeah. need to pivot and give them the tools and the framework to respond when change happens around them to be. because just because I decided to change and my path was X, well, it's kind of, 
deviated and deviated and deviated and deviated. And I have to adapt to that, really adapt to that. And I'll tell you this, I adapt so much better now than I did five, six years ago. I think we, oh, we so learn. Yeah, we learn. Now, Bruce, I'm gonna, this is a Bruce Lee philosophy. So some of you may know Bruce Lee, some of you may not. Bruce Lee says failure, there, you, there's never failure. There is no failure. Failure is learning. Because you either learn to not do that again, or you need to learn how to do it better. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it really shocks me what you just said, Michael. It's a great quote, but the fact that there might be people out there that don't know who Bruce Lee is. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I just realized that. Now, when we're done, I kind of want to ask my kids, do, you, do they know who Bruce Lee is? Do Bruce they Lee? really know who Bruce Lee is? Oh, my God. Oh, oh. God. Yeah, All right. I will tell you, I use the philosophies of Bruce Lee. As a police officer, I, I practiced, even before I was a cop, I got into martial arts, and I practiced and started learning Kung Fu, and I started learning uh, Aikido, especially when I was in law enforcement, I learned Aikido, which is mm -hmm. another yep. martial arts. But I followed Bruce Lee from when I was a kid. I'm talking about, watched every movie, watched everything. His philosophies and what he learned through his life and the obstacles they had overcome allowed me to take that, and that quote that I just told you, allowed me to get myself out of a wheelchair. My daughter lit the, lit the match. You can't see me, but my daughter lit the match when she asked me to walk her down the aisle to get me out of the wheelchair from feeling sorry for myself and mm -hmm. feeling angry and resentful to walk her down the aisle, okay? Each day that I went in to have an operation and had to walk, had to learn to walk again, had to learn to walk with a cane, learn to walk with a walker, et cetera, et cetera, that ran through my head each and every time I did it. So I lived by that through hours and hours of physical rehabilitation and aid operations. So it works. Just think of, there is no failure. It's a, it's a learning, it's, there's no failure, it's learning. You either learn to do it, to not do that, or to do it better. Yeah. Or there's just, you know, I love, but you won't, none of that will happen unless, unless you take a step, you take some type of action. And that's the scary part. That's exactly. The scary part. Make the choice. Well, when you made your life pivot, like now, I know that you, you went to house painting, um, which, you know, in it, that in itself can be a career. My brother-in-law owns a painting company and he started off painting yep. interior apartments and exterior and houses. And now he, he's got a huge company that has, I think like 23 or 24 employees he, he took that to his level. That's his passion. That's what he did to, as well. He loves doing what he's doing. Um, obviously, it takes a toll on him now because he never expected to have to manage 23 people in, yeah. in his business. But he still goes to work every day, but he enjoys what he's doing. He loves what he's yeah. doing. So how did you, I, mean, I know that you, you, you did what you do now, but you also coach people in regard to change. Right, and yeah. how to take that pivot, whether you make it by choice or whether you're forced to pivot and make that change. Um, mm -hmm. What got you into coaching? I, I knew painting houses. Like I'm no, I have a birthday, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Oh, I'll let your I, listeners. I, I won't tell you email. how old I am either. <laughs> email? No. What are you like? Thirty-seven. Uh, <laughs> Damn, you're close. You're uh, good. I know I was really close. <laughs> so, uh, I hit for 20 years. That's pretty much what I did. <clears throat> I thrived off that. I did a lot of 
podcast consulting and coaching uh, probably the last two or three years of my HR career. And what I loved about it is, one, I love to talk about, I love to help people uh, do things that they never knew they could do. And even back when I was doing, I did door-to-door sales, I was really good. I, I couldn't sell anything, but I was really good at helping people that lacked confidence to believe in themselves. And it'd been something I always enjoyed doing. And there were parts of it, there were windows of it in my HR career. And seeing how there's a level of, of uh, peace of mind when people feel, again, you can't feed someone safety and comfort, but if you can help them grasp it as much as they can and feel fulfilled and satisfied and, and uh, in their own way successful, it's an amazing gift. And after spending so many years as an HR professional, understanding change so much, and then going through an evolution, a personal evolution of leaving, deciding I'm not going to do that anymore, and then finding things that I could do alternative to my former career, and then grasping on a painting opportunity that led to me building a painting brand and reputation in my community and, and, uh, visibility. Uh, I realized there are a lot of tools and those tools can be put together in a framework that can really help people repeat that. So in essence, all the mistakes that I've made and the learnings that I've gathered, not only in my corporate life, but also as an entrepreneur figuring himself out both externally and internally, because, um, Part of the buckets of change is not just simply these are the this is the framework to follow if you're unhappy with your career but are terrified because you're afraid you're going to lose something if you reinvent yourself at this point in your life. But there's really things you need to work on in yourself, and whether it be a lot of mindfulness, spirituality, whatever, uh, managing your ego, uh, tackling judgment, all these things that are essential of mitigating obstacles. So as you change externally, those changes can happen a little bit faster and uh, become a reality much quicker than slugging it along and stubbing your toe over and over and over again. I'm such a huge fan of, uh, there's this great book called The Wisdom of Failure. And um, I can't remember the author, Harold Weinzheimer, I think, please don't quote me on that. But it's a book I, I read religiously every year because what this book really shares is for people that want to be successful, sometimes we look at people that are other people that are successful and we want to mimic what they do. But it's the mistakes, the big mistakes that people have made is where the true knowledge is. And through all those mistakes and understanding that and that skill of being able to teach that I learned early in my career, rarely early in my career, and building confidence and, and encouragement with students. I get to do that now with people that are in a point in their life, both men and women who are in a career transition where they are, I mean, their health is being affected by the job that they're in because they feel stuck. I, a lot of people I talk to say that word, they feel stuck. And I always say right after they say that, I said, well, you're not really stuck. It sounds like you're in a you're in a jail cell when the door's wide open and you're just not stepping out of it. And people forget that the the discomfort that they may feel by making a decision like that is the same discomfort that they had when they started doing the job that they're in right now. 
they just did what they needed to do to get past it. And again, we only have so much time on this earth, Michael. And if I can help people understand the steps to follow and repeat those steps to get as much out of the life that we're given and the air that we breathe to chase whatever dream, passion, purpose they might have uh, is extremely fulfilling for me. And the buckets of change is exactly set up to do just that. And I get to work with them and walk them through that, which is, it's great. It's not a program per se, but it's really a, a way I try to set up. What are the ways that I've taught others to do things, to get through things, whether it be leadership, you know, to go through the steps of becoming a leader or working with organizations to help them understand acquisitions or dispositions and, and all these things. I get to be able to, to put that together and be able to, to share that with uh, the world, basically. From there, that's amazing. That's an outstanding opportunity for you to improve people's lives from whatever cool. level that they're at, I think, whether it be corporate, um, all the way down to just regular individuals. It gives a, a opportunity. Opportunity is a valuable word. Opportunity is a valuable asset. Um, do you have any tips that you can share with anybody if they're uh, stuck in that sure. position and they want to move yeah, forward? One, one if, if, and I'll share something with your audience. One thing I, I'm, I'm really big on is uh, in the life we lead, when we get in a rut, we kind of put the blinders on and get very ignorant to the fact that there are signs around us letting us know that change may be necessary or might be imminent in the career path that we're on. I don't believe, at least not my generation, but millennials and Gen Zs and and all any generations that follow, the, the lifer career doesn't exist anymore. But you want to assume that as you're working and spending, like you said, 75% of your time, you're doing something that you're excited about. It's providing enough fulfillment that most importantly, you're present when you're at home. Because if you're in a job that's grinding you and you're, you're first thing you're saying on a, in a Monday morning that you hate the fact that you have to go there, that negative energy you're going to carry with you all day and you are going to project it in some way, shape or form to the people most closest to you, which I used to do the same thing. And I know what that is. I just didn't, I didn't know what the signs were. And there are things that people say to us, especially when we vent about our job, they'll just say, well, get a new job, right? People just say, get a new job. And you'll say, well, it's really not that easy. Well, it is easy. Uh, the act of it is easy, but realizing how we respond to that act is where the challenge, the challenge is. But knowing the signs that it may be time for a career change is, is, is just, may just be a series of questions that you need to ask yourself. So if, uh, if you're, you're okay with it, Michael, I want to share, I, I've created this, this free assessment called the, basically the buckets of change assessment. And it's, it takes less than 60 seconds to do. And it's a series of questions you can ask yourself and you answer honestly, and you'll be given a, a, a response about where you are. If, if, or if not, uh, now's the time for you to consider a career transition and it may help you see maybe just asking yourself these questions that maybe now's the time or in the near future, uh, there, there is a time where I have to make a choice, have to give myself permission 
to be uncomfortable and and make a career change that's necessary. It may be something new in your industry. It may be something that that completely reinvent yourself like like me. But it's a way to capture on that moment now rather than waiting or saying to myself, you know what, things will get better then or uh, I'll be happier when this happens. Because if I was to wait for happiness to based on what everything how everything happens around me, that's a long, 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 long trek to find. But the fact that I own it, uh, I get to make those choices now. But if I was to go back to Nick in 2018, I would give him this assessment and I'm sure he would figure it out much quicker than I did back then that maybe I need to take some action now. So uh, I can give you a link for the assessment in your show notes. You can also go to uh, buckets.change.com slash signs and find the assessment. The assessment, you could take it on a desktop, you can take it on your phone, which is really great too. And again, it's just a simple way of you just seeing that maybe uh, change, imminent change in my career may be necessary and also some ways in which I could I could help in that process. That'd be fantastic. If you could send me that link, I'll make sure it gets in the show notes so everybody can just click on it and easy way to come find you. Um, I wish we could talk forever, but uh, unfortunately, no. This is great, Michael. This, I'm very. This is great. It's been really good. I've really enjoyed what we've what we've been able to kind of cover. I think we hopefully we've been able to uh, uh, inspire, motivate, and educate some people in regard to don't be afraid of change. Change can happen at any point in your life, and it, you know it's not a set schedule. That when I you know when I reach fifty, I'm going to have a midlife crisis and you know go buy a Corvette and. <laughs> Uh, but if life happens to present to you the opportunity for change, then you know you just have to reach out and grasp it, and then uh, use the tools in order to effectively and efficiently make it work for you. I think. How can somebody exactly. find you? Uh, you can find me. I produce a weekly podcast called the Buckets of Change podcast. You can find it on any podcast player. Uh, your favorite podcast player. I also publish those videos from my studio here on YouTube as well. So if you'd like to watch those as well, uh, we have guests on the show. We're going to have future guests on the show as well. You can follow me. I'll leave you all my social media links on Instagram and TikTok. I'm trying TikTok out, uh, which is a lot of fun. It's exciting. Something that I needed to be convinced to do. I had to listen to someone telling me that maybe I need to change my my path in social media. So now I'm trying something completely new, which is fun. Great. I'm screwing it up, learning it, which is awesome. But uh, I put content out as often as I can to really share my message about how change is uh, with the right tools. Change can be much easier and way more fun too. way more fun because if we can understand it and and, and uh, I know we're getting to the end of the show, Michael, if we can understand how change really affects us and and suddenly we become a lot more self-aware, it's exciting to see how we respond to change and then own that response. Like it's really a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It's way more fun than suddenly being backed into a corner and thinking, "Uh Oh, here's something else I got to deal with. We kind of, we walk into the room with our foot forward and say, all right, what can I do? I know it's not going to be easy, but what can I do? And that's, that's the fun part. I, I journal every day. I always walk my dog in the morning and do my digital journal on my phone. And that's the stuff I share with myself that I want to reflect on is how I'm responding to all of this. Yeah. And it's great. And owning your life and owning what you do is something that everyone should have the ability to do. It is a life can be very, very lonely at times when we feel we don't have a grasp of it. 
And if any way I can do to help people become less lonely and more part of something, oh God, it's just my calling in life. It's my absolute purpose. It's a purpose, exactly. Purpose, purpose makes us happy. Purpose oh, makes us right. happy. You know, this is one more thing before we go. I always ask: sure. Is are there are any words of wisdom you can share? But um, over and above what you just did, because what you just said was brilliant. But Ooh, wow! Hold on, let me get my wife. You just said <laughs> uh, that's great, Michael. Um, you are not alone in how you're feeling when you are in a position where or a path that you're on, and I usually use that word path, where things are hard, you are not the only person doing that. And when you get to a point where as you start making that shift and things become harder based on your choices, you chose to, to, to get through that, you are not alone. Someone else out there has done something that they could share with you or you can find or you could you could uh, or made a mistake you can you can not do you're never alone and if i i had a bout of depression after i decided i didn't want to do my career anymore and if only i thought that more and said and i had a midlife crisis too michael that was my midlife crisis uh, that i'm not alone because once you find out others are doing are dealing with what you're doing and they're they're finding their way through it oh god it just it makes you so um normal it just makes you feel more human than than this abnormality that you're like oh my god i'm broken and that then that, and that's we're not you're not broken you're not broken you're flawed people we're all flawed but you're not broken and know that there's someone out there doing the same thing you're doing, figuring out the same thing you're figuring out. And that's why I love sharing my experiences with people. I do it on my show and all that, that uh, it makes, again, taking away that loneliness that we can feel sometimes when we feel stuck. And Amazing, that's, words, that's yeah. fair. Amazing words of wisdom. We all need to remember that there's always been someone that has walked that path before us. And we just need to follow in their footsteps sometimes and reach out. So, yeah, amazing words of wisdom. Nick, thank you very much for spending this time today. I really appreciate the fact that we connected and that uh, I'm grateful for your wisdom and your experiences and sharing your journey. Uh, thank you for being here. You got it, Michael. Thanks, Mike. That's great. That's awesome. Everyone that's out there, please, uh, one more thing before you all go, I want you, I want you to have a great day, have a great week, and thank you for listening. Listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.